Chapter Six of the Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, Baskerville Hall. Sir Henry Baskerville and Doctor Mortimer were ready upon the appointed day, and we started as arranged for Devonshire. Mister Sherlock Holmes drove with me to the station, and gave me his last parting injunctions and advice. "'I will not bias your mind by suggesting theories or suspicions, Watson,' said he. "'I wish you simply to report facts in the fullest possible manner to me, "'and you can leave me to do the theorising.' "'What sort of facts?' I asked. "'Anything which may seem to have a bearing, however indirect, upon the case, "'and especially the relations between young Baskerville and his neighbours, "'or any fresh particulars concerning the death of Sir Charles.' I have made some inquiries myself in the last few days, but the results have, I fear, been negative. One thing only appears to be certain, and that is that Mr. James Desmond, who is the next heir, is an elderly gentleman of a very amiable disposition, so that this persecution does not arise from him. I really think that we may eliminate him entirely from our calculations. There remain the people who will actually surround Sir Henry Baskerville upon the moor. "'Would it not be well in the first place to get rid of this Barrymore couple?' "'By no means. You could not make a greater mistake. "'If they are innocent, it would be a cruel injustice, "'and if they are guilty, we should be giving up all chance of bringing it home to them. "'No, no. We will preserve them upon our list of suspects. "'Then there is a groom at the hall, if I remember right. "'There are two moorland farmers. There is our friend Dr. Mortimer.' whom i believe to be entirely honest and there is his wife of whom we know nothing there is this naturalist stapleton and there is his sister who is said to be a young lady of attractions there is mr frankland of laughter hall who is also an unknown factor and there are one or two other neighbours these are the folk who must be your very special study i'll do my best you have arms i suppose yes i thought it as well to take them most certainly keep your revolver near you night and day and never relax your precautions our friends had already secured a first-class carriage and were waiting for us upon the platform no we have no news of any kind said dr mortimer in answer to my friend's questions i can swear to one thing and that is that we have not been shadowed during the last two days we have never gone out without keeping a sharp watch and no one could have escaped our notice you have always kept together i presume except yesterday afternoon i usually give up one day to pure amusement when i come to town so i spent it at the museum of the college of surgeons and i went to look at the folk in the park said baskerville but we had no trouble of any kind it was imprudent all the same said holmes shaking his head and looking very grave i beg sir henry that you will not go about alone some great misfortune will befall you if you do did you get your other boot no sir it is gone forever indeed that is very interesting well good-bye he added as the train began to glide down the platform bear in mind sir henry one of the phrases in that queer old legend which dr mortimer has read to us and avoid the moor in those hours of darkness when the powers of evil are exalted 
i looked back at the platform when we had left it far behind and saw the tall austere figure of holmes standing motionless and gazing after us the journey was a swift and pleasant one and i spent it in making the more intimate acquaintance of my two companions and in playing with dr mortimer's spaniel in a very few hours the brown earth had become ruddy the brick had changed to granite and red cows grazed in well-hedged fields where the lush grasses and more luxuriant vegetation spoke of a richer if a damper climate young baskerville stared eagerly out of the window and cried aloud with delight as he recognized the familiar features of the devon scenery i've been over a good part of the world since i left it dr watson said he but i've never seen a place to compare with it i never saw a devonshire man who did not swear by his county i remarked it depends upon the breed of men quite as much as on the county said dr mortimer a glance at our friend here reveals the rounded head of the celt which carries inside it the celtic enthusiasm and power of attachment poor sir charles's head was of a very rare type half gaelic half ivernian in its characteristics but you were very young when you last saw baskerville hall were you not i was a boy in my teens at the time of my father's death and had never seen the hall for he lived in a little cottage on the south coast thence i went straight to a friend in america i tell you it is all as new to me as it is to dr watson and i'm as keen as possible to see the moor are you then your wish is easily granted for there is your first sight of the moor said dr mortimer pointing out of the carriage window over the green squares of the fields and the low curve of a wood there rose in the distance a grey melancholy hill with a strange jagged summit dim and vague in the distance like some fantastic landscape in a dream baskerville sat for a long time his eyes fixed upon it and i read upon his eager face how much it meant to him this first sight of that strange spot where the men of his blood had held sway so long and left their mark so deep there he sat with his tweed suit in the corner of a prosaic railway carriage and yet as i looked at his dark and expressive face i felt more than ever how true a descendant he was of that long line of high-blooded fiery and masterful men there were pride valor and strength in his thick brows his sensitive nostrils and his large hazel eyes if on that forbidding moor a difficult and dangerous quest should lie before us this was at least a comrade for whom one might venture to take a risk with the certainty that he would bravely share it the train pulled up at a small wayside station and we all descended outside beyond the low white fence a wagonette with a pair of cobs was waiting our coming was evidently a great event for station master and porters clustered round us to carry out our luggage it was a sweet simple country spot but i was surprised to observe that by the gate there stood two soldierly men in dark uniforms who leaned upon their short rifles and glanced keenly at us as we passed the coachman a hard-faced gnarled little fellow saluted sir henry baskerville and in a few minutes we were flying swiftly down the broad white road rolling pasture lands curved upward on either side of us and old gabled houses peeped out from amid the thick green foliage but behind the peaceful and sunlit countryside there rose ever dark against the evening sky 
the long gloomy curve of the moor broken by the jagged and sinister hills the wagonette swung round into a side road and we curved upward through deep lanes worn by centuries of wheels high banks on either side heavy with dripping moss and fleshy heart's tongue ferns bronzing bracken and mottled bramble gleamed in the light of the sinking sun still steadily rising we passed over a narrow granite bridge and skirted a noisy stream which gushed swiftly down foaming and roaring amid the gray boulders both road and stream wound up through a valley dense with scrub oak and fir at every turn baskerville gave an exclamation of delight looking eagerly about him and asking countless questions to his eyes all seemed beautiful but to me a tinge of melancholy lay upon the countryside which bore so clearly the mark of the waning year yellow leaves carpeted the lanes and fluttered down upon us as we passed the rattle of our wheels died away as we drove through drifts of rotting vegetation sad gifts as it seemed to me for nature to throw before the carriage of the returning heir of the baskervilles hello cried dr mortimer what is this a steep curve of heath-clad land an outlying spur of the moor lay in front of us on the summit hard and clear like an equestrian statue upon its pedestal was a mounted soldier dark and stern his rifle poised ready over his forearm he was watching the road along which we travelled what is this perkins asked dr mortimer our driver half turned in his seat here's a convict escaped from princetown sir he's been out here three days now and the warders watch every road and every station but they've had no sight of him yet the farmers about here don't like you sir and that's a fact well i understand that they get five pounds if they can give information yes sir but the chance of five pounds is but a poor thing compared to the chance of having your throat cut you see it isn't like any ordinary convict this is a man who would stick at nothing who is he then it is selden the notting hill murderer i remembered the case well for it was one in which holmes had taken an interest on account of the peculiar ferocity of the crime and the wanton brutality which had marked all the actions of the assassin the commutation of his death sentence had been due to some doubts as to his complete sanity so atrocious was his conduct our wagonette had topped a rise and in front of us rose the huge expanse of the moor mottled with gnarled and craggy cairns and tors a cold wind swept down from it and set us shivering somewhere there on that desolate plain was lurking this fiendish man hiding in a burrow like a wild beast his heart full of malignancy against the whole race which had cast him out it needed but this to complete the grim suggestiveness of the barren waste the chilling wind and the darkling sky even baskerville fell silent and pulled his overcoat more closely around him we had left the fertile country behind and beneath us we looked back on it now the slanting rays of a low sun turning the streams to threads of gold and glowing on the red earth new turned by the plough and the broad tangle of the woodlands the road in front of us grew bleaker and wilder over huge russet and olive slopes sprinkled with giant boulders now and then we passed a moorland cottage 
walled and roofed with stone with no creeper to break its harsh outline suddenly we looked down into a cup-like depression patched with stunted oaks and firs which had been twisted and bent by the fury of years of storm two high narrow towers rose over the trees the driver pointed with his whip baskerville hall said he its master had risen and was staring with flushed cheeks and shining eyes a few minutes later we had reached the lodge gates a maze of fantastic tracery in wrought iron with weather-bitten pillars on either side blotched with lichens and surmounted by the boar's heads of the baskervilles the lodge was a ruin of black granite and bared ribs of rafters but facing it was a new building half constructed the first fruit of sir charles's south african gold through the gateway we passed into the avenue where the wheels were again hushed amid the leaves and the old trees shot their branches in a sombre tunnel over our heads baskerville shuddered as we looked up the long dark drive to where the house glimmered like a ghost at the farther end was it here he asked in a low voice no no the yew alley is on the other side the young heir glanced round with a gloomy face it's no wonder my uncle felt as if trouble were coming on him in such a place as this said he it's enough to scare any man i'll have a row of electric lamps up here inside of six months and you won't know it again with a thousand candle power swan and edison right here in front of the hall door the avenue opened into a broad expanse of turf and the house lay before us in the fading light i could see that the centre was a heavy block of building from which a porch projected the whole front was draped in ivy with a patch clipped bare here and there where a window or a coat of arms broke through the dark veil from this central block rose the twin towers ancient crenellated and pierced with many loopholes to right and left of the turrets were more modern wings of black granite a dull light shone through heavy mullioned windows and from the high chimneys which rose from the steep high-angled roof there sprang a single black column of smoke welcome sir henry welcome to baskerville hall a tall man had stepped from the shadow of the porch to open the door of the wagonette the figure of a woman was silhouetted against the yellow light of the hall she came out and helped the man to hand down our bags you don't mind my driving straight home sir henry said dr mortimer my wife is expecting me surely you'll stay and have some dinner no i must go i shall probably find some work awaiting me i would stay to show you over the house but barrymore will be a better guide than i good-bye and never hesitate night or day to send for me if i can be of service the wheels died away down the drive while sir henry and i turned into the hall and the door clanged heavily behind us it was a fine apartment in which we found ourselves large lofty and heavily rafted with huge balks of age blackened oak in the great old-fashioned fireplace behind the high iron dogs a log fire crackled and snapped sir henry and i held out our hands to it for we were numb from our long drive then we gazed round us at the high thin window of old stained glass the oak panelling the stags heads the coats of arms upon the walls all dim and sombre in the subdued light of the central lamp it's just as i imagined it 
said sir henry is it not the very picture of an old family home to think that this should be the same hall in which for five hundred years my people have lived it strikes me solemn to think of it i saw his dark face lit up with a boyish enthusiasm as he gazed about him the light beat upon him where he stood but long shadows trailed down the walls and hung like a black canopy above him barrymore had returned from taking our luggage to our rooms he stood in front of us now with the subdued manner of a well-trained servant he was a remarkable-looking man tall handsome with a square black beard and pale distinguished features would you wish dinner to be served at once sir is it ready in a few minutes sir you will find hot water in your rooms my wife and i will be happy sir henry to stay with you until you've made your fresh arrangements but you will understand that under the new conditions this house will require a considerable staff what new conditions i only meant it sir that sir charles led a very retired life and we were able to look after his wants you would naturally wish to have more company and so you will need changes in your household do you mean that your wife and you wish to leave only when it's quite convenient to you sir but your family have been with us for several generations have they not i should be sorry to begin my life here by breaking an old family connection i seem to discern some signs of emotion upon the butler's white face i feel that also sir and so does my wife but to tell the truth sir we were both very much attached to sir charles and his death gave us a shock and made these surroundings very painful to us i fear that we shall never again be easy in our minds at baskerville hall but what do you intend to do i have no doubt sir that we shall succeed in establishing ourselves in some business sir charles's generosity has given us the means to do so and now sir perhaps i'd best show you to your rooms a square balustraded gallery ran round the top of the old hall approached by a double stair from this central point two long corridors extended the whole length of the building from which all the bedrooms opened my own was in the same wing as baskerville's and almost next door to it these rooms appeared to be much more modern than the central part of the house and the bright paper and numerous candles did something to remove the sombre impression which our arrival had left upon my mind but the dining-room which opened out of the hall was a place of shadow and gloom it was a long chamber with a step separating the dais where the family sat from the lower portion reserved for their dependents at one end a minstrel's gallery overlooked it black beams shot across above our heads with a smoke-darkened ceiling beyond them with rows of flaring torches to light it up and the colour and rude hilarity of an old-time banquet it might have softened but now when two black-clothed gentlemen sat in the little circle of light thrown by a shaded lamp one's voice became hushed and one's spirit subdued a dim line of ancestors in every variety of dress from the elizabethan knight to the buck of the regency stared down upon us and daunted us by their silent company we talked little and i for one was glad when the meal was over and we were able to retire into the modern billiard-room and smoke a cigarette my word it isn't a very cheerful place 
said sir henry i suppose one can tone down to it but i feel a bit out of the picture at present i don't mind that my uncle got a little jumpy if he lived all alone in such a house as this however if it suits you we will retire early to-night and perhaps things may seem more cheerful in the morning i drew aside my curtains before i went to bed and looked out from my window it opened up upon the grassy space which lay in front of the hall door beyond two copses of trees moaned and swung in a rising wind a half-moon broke through the rifts of racing clouds in its cold light i saw beyond the trees a broken fringe of rocks and the long low curve of the melancholy moor i closed the curtain feeling that my last impression was in keeping with the rest and yet it was not quite the last i found myself weary and yet wakeful tossing restlessly from side to side seeking for the sleep which would not come far away a chiming clock struck out the quarters of the hours but otherwise a deathly silence lay upon the old house and then suddenly in the very dead of night there came a sound to my ears clear resonant and unmistakable it was the sob of a woman the muffled strangling gasp of one who is torn by an uncontrollable sorrow i sat up in bed and listened intently the noise could not have been far away and was certainly in the house for half an hour i waited with every nerve on the alert but there came no other sound save the chiming clock and the rustle of the ivy on the wall End of chapter 6「Seven of the Hand of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven The Stapletons of Merripit House. The fresh beauty of the following morning did something to efface from our minds the grim and grey impression which had been left upon both of us by our first experience of Baskerville Hall. As Sir Henry and I sat at breakfast, the sunlight flooded in through the high mullioned windows, throwing watery patches of colour from the coats of arms which covered them. The dark panelling glowed like bronze in the golden rays, and it was hard to realise that this was indeed the chamber which had struck such a gloom into our souls upon the evening before. "'I guess it is ourselves and not the house that we have to blame,' said the baronet. "'We were tired with our journey and chilled by our drive so we took a grave view of the place now we are fresh and well so it is all cheerful once more and yet it was not entirely a question of imagination i answered did you for example happen to hear someone a woman i think sobbing in the night that is curious for i did when i was half asleep fancy that i heard something of the sort i waited quite a time but there was no more of it so i concluded that it was all a dream i heard it distinctly and i am sure that it was really the sob of a woman we must ask about it right away he rang the bell and asked barrymore whether he could account for our experience it seemed to me that the pallid features of the butler turned a shade paler still as he listened to his master's question there are only two women in the house sir henry he answered one is the scullery maid who sleeps in the other wing 
the other is my wife and i can answer for it that the sound could not have come from her and yet he lied as he said it for it chanced that after breakfast i met mrs barrymore in the long corridor with the sun full upon her face she was a large impassive heavy-featured woman with a stern set expression of mouth but her tell-tale eyes were red and glanced at me from between swollen lids it was she then who wept in the night and if she did so her husband must know it yet he had taken the obvious risk of discovery in declaring that it was not so why had he done this and why did she weep so bitterly already round this pale-faced handsome black-bearded man there was gathering an atmosphere of mystery and of gloom it was he who had been the first to discover the body of sir charles and we had only his word for all the circumstances which led up to the old man's death was it possible that it was barrymore after all whom we had seen in the cab in regent street the beard might well have been the same the cabman had described a somewhat shorter man but such an impression might easily have been erroneous how could i settle the point forever obviously the first thing to do was to see the grimpen postmaster and find whether the test telegram had really been placed in barrymore's own hands be the answer what it might i should at least have something to report to sherlock holmes sir henry had numerous papers to examine after breakfast so that the time was propitious for my excursion it was a pleasant walk of four miles along the edge of the moor leading me at last to a small grey hamlet in which two larger buildings which proved to be the inn and the house of dr mortimer stood high above the rest the postmaster who was also the village grocer had a clear recollection of the telegram certainly sir said he i had the telegram delivered to mr barrymore exactly as directed who delivered it my boy here james you delivered that telegram to mr barrymore at the hall last week did you not yes father i delivered it into his own hands i asked well he was up in the loft at the time so that he could not put into his own hands but i give it into mrs barrymore's hands and she promised to deliver it at once did you see mr barrymore no sir i tell you he was in the loft if you didn't see him how do you know he was in the loft well surely his own wife ought to know where he is said the postmaster testily didn't he get the telegram if there's any mistake it is for mr barrymore himself to complain it seemed hopeless to pursue the inquiry any farther but it was clear that in spite of holmes's ruse we had no proof that barrymore had not been in london all the time suppose that it were so suppose that the same man had been the last who had seen sir charles alive and the first to dog the new heir when he returned to england what then was he the agent of others or had he some sinister design of his own what interest could he have in persecuting the baskerville family i thought of the strange warning clipped out of the leading article of the times was that his work or was it possibly the doing of someone who was bent upon counteracting his schemes the only conceivable motive was that which had been suggested by sir henry that if the family could be scared away a comfortable and permanent home would be secured for the barrymores but surely such an explanation as that would be quite inadequate to account for the deep and subtle scheming 
which seemed to be weaving an invisible net around the young baronet holmes himself had said that no more complex case had come to him in all the long series of his sensational investigations i prayed as i walked back along the grey lonely road that my friend might soon be freed from his preoccupations and able to come down to take his heavy burden of responsibility from my shoulders suddenly my thoughts were interrupted by the sound of running feet behind me and by a voice which called me by name i turned expecting to see dr mortimer but to my surprise it was a stranger who was pursuing me he was a small slim clean-shaven prim-faced man flaxen-haired and lean-jawed between thirty and forty years of age dressed in a grey suit and wearing a straw hat a tin box for botanical specimens hung over his shoulder and he carried a green butterfly net in one of his hands you will i am sure excuse my presumption dr watson said he as he came panting up to where i stood here on the moor we are a homely folk and do not wait for formal introductions you may possibly have heard my name from our mutual friend mortimer i am stapleton of merripit house your net and box would have told me as much said i for i knew that mr stapleton was a naturalist but how did you know me i have been calling on mortimer and he pointed you out to me from the window of his surgery as you passed as our road lay the same way i thought that i could overtake you and introduce myself i trust that sir henry is none the worse for his journey he's very well thank you we were all rather afraid that after the sad death of sir charles the new baronet might refuse to live here it is asking much of a wealthy man to come down and bury himself in a place of this kind but i need not tell you that it means a very great deal to the countryside sir henry has i suppose no superstitious fears in the matter i do not think that it is likely of course you know the legend of the fiend dog which haunts the family i have heard of it it is extraordinary how credulous the pheasants are about here any number of them are ready to swear that they have seen such a creature upon the moor he spoke with a smile but i seemed to read in his eyes that he took the matter more seriously the story took a great hold upon the imagination of sir charles and i have no doubt that it led to his tragic end but how his nerves were so worked up that the appearance of any dog might have had a fatal effect upon his diseased heart i fancy that he really did see something of the kind upon that last night in the yew alley i feared that some disaster might occur for i was very fond of the old man and i knew that his heart was weak how did you know that my friend mortimer told me you think then that some dog pursued sir charles and that he died of fright in consequence have you any better explanation i have not come to any conclusion has mr sherlock holmes the words took away my breath for an instant but a glance at the placid face and steadfast eyes of my companion showed that no surprise was intended it is useless for us to pretend that we do not know you dr watson said he the records of your detective have reached us here and you could not celebrate him without being known yourself 
when mortimer told me your name he could not deny your identity if you are here then it follows that mr sherlock holmes is interesting himself in the matter and i am naturally curious to know what view he may take i am afraid that i cannot answer that question may i ask him if he is going to honour us with a visit himself he cannot leave town at present he has other cases which engage his attention what a pity he might throw some light on that which is so dark to us but as to your own researches if there is any possible way in which i can be of service to you i trust that you will command me if i had any indication of the nature of your suspicions or how you propose to investigate the case i might perhaps even now give you some aid or advice i assure you that i am simply here upon a visit to my friend sir henry and that i need no help of any kind excellent said stapleton you are perfectly right to be wary and discreet i am justly reproved for what i feel was an unjustifiable intrusion and i promise you that i will not mention the matter again we had come to a point where a narrow grassy path struck off from the road and wound away across the moor a steep boulder sprinkled hill lay upon the right which had in bygone days been cut into a granite quarry the face which was turned towards us formed a dark cliff with ferns and brambles growing in its niches from over a distant rise there floated a grey plume of smoke a moderate walk along this moor path brings us to merripit house said he perhaps you will spare an hour that i may have the pleasure of introducing you to my sister my first thought was that i should be by sir henry's side but then i remembered the pile of papers and bills with which his study table was littered it was certain that i could not help with those and holmes had expressly said that i should study the neighbours upon the moor i accepted stapleton's invitation and we turned together down the path it is a wonderful place the moor said he looking round over the undulating downs long green rollers with crests of jagged granite foaming up into fantastic surges you never tire of the moor you cannot think the wonderful secrets which it contains it is so vast and so barren and so mysterious you know it well then i have only been here two years the residents would call me a newcomer we came shortly after sir charles settled but my tastes led me to explore every part of the country round and i should think that there are few men who know it better than i do is it hard to know very hard you see for example this great plain to the north here with the queer hills breaking out of it do you observe anything remarkable about that it would be a rare place for a gallop you would naturally think so and the thought has cost several their lives before now you notice those bright green spots scattered thickly over it yes they seem more fertile than the rest stapleton laughed ah, that is the great grimpen mire said he a false step yonder means death to man or beast only yesterday i saw one of the moor ponies wander into it me never came out i saw his head for quite a long time craning out of the bog hole 
but it sucked him down at last even in dry seasons it is a danger to cross it but after these autumn rains it is an awful place and yet i can find my way to the very heart of it and return alive by george there's another of those miserable ponies something brown was rolling and tossing among the green sedges then a long agonized writhing neck shot upward and a dreadful cry echoed over the moor it turned me cold with horror but my companion's nerves seemed to be stronger than mine it's gone said he the mire has him two in two days and many more perhaps for they get in the way of going there in the dry weather and never know the difference until the mire has them in its clutches it's a bad place the great grimpen mire and you say you can penetrate it yes there are one or two paths which a very active man can take i have found them out but why should you wish to go into so horrible a place well you see the hills beyond they are really islands cut off on all sides by the impassable mire which has crawled round them in the course of years that is where the rare plants and the butterflies are if you have the wit to reach them i shall try my luck some day he looked at me with a surprised face for god's sake put such an idea out of your mind said he your blood will be upon my head i assure you that there would not be the least chance of your coming back alive it is only by remembering certain complex landmarks that i am able to do it hello i cried what is that a long low moan indescribably sad swept over the moor it filled the whole air and yet it was impossible to say whence it came from a dull murmur it swelled into a deep roar and then sank back into a melancholy throbbing murmur once again stapleton looked at me with a curious expression in his face queer place the moor said he but what is it the peasants say it is the hound of the baskervilles calling for its prey i've heard it once or twice before but never quite so loud i looked round with a chill of fear in my heart at the huge swelling plain mottled with the green patches of rushes nothing stirred over the vast expanse save a pair of ravens which croaked loudly from a tour behind us you are an educated man you don't believe such nonsense as that said i what do you think is the cause of so strange a sound bogs make queer noises sometimes it's the mud settling or the water rising or something no no that was a living voice well perhaps it was did you ever hear a bittern booming no i never did it is a very rare bird practically extinct in england now but all things are possible upon the moor yes i should not be surprised to learn that what we have heard is the cry of the last of the bitterns it's the weirdest strangest thing that ever i heard in my life yes it's rather an uncanny place altogether look at the hillside yonder what do you make of those the whole steep slope was covered with gray circular rings of stone a score of them at least what are they 
sheep pens no they are the homes of our worthy ancestors prehistoric man lived thickly on the moor and as no one in particular has lived there since we find all his little arrangements exactly as he left them these are his wigwams with the roofs off you can even see his hearth and his couch if you have the curiosity to go inside but it is quite a town when was it inhabited neolithic man no date what did he do he grazed his cattle on those slopes and he learned to dig for tin when the bronze sword began to supersede the stone axe look at the great trench in the opposite hill that is his mark yes you will find some very singular points about the moor dr watson oh excuse me an instant it is surely cyclopides a small fly or moth had fluttered across our path and in an instant stapleton was rushing with extraordinary energy and speed in pursuit of it to my dismay the creature flew straight for the great mire and my acquaintance never paused for an instant bounding from tuft to tuft behind it his green net waving in the air his grey clothes and jerky zigzag irregular progress made him not unlike some huge moth himself i was standing watching his pursuit with a mixture of admiration for his extraordinary activity and fear lest he should lose his footing in the treacherous mire when i heard the sound of steps and turning round found a woman near me upon the path she had come from the direction in which the plume of smoke indicated the position of merripit house but the dip of the moor had hid her until she was quite close i could not doubt that this was the miss stapleton of whom i had been told since ladies of any sort must be few upon the moor and i remembered that i had heard someone describe her as being a beauty the woman who approached me was certainly that and of a most uncommon type there could not have been a greater contrast between brother and sister for stapleton was neutral tinted with light hair and grey eyes while she was darker than any brunette whom i had seen in england slim elegant and tall she had a proud finely cut face so regular that it might have seemed impassive were it not for the sensitive mouth and the beautiful dark eager eyes with her perfect figure and elegant dress she was indeed a strange apparition upon a lonely moorland path her eyes were on her brother as i turned and then she quickened her pace towards me i had raised my hat and was about to make some explanatory remark when her own words turned all my thoughts into a new channel go back she said go straight back to london instantly i could only stare at her in stupid surprise her eyes blazed at me and she tapped the ground impatiently with her foot why should i go back i asked i cannot explain she spoke in a low eager voice with a curious lisp in her utterance but for god's sake do what i ask you go back and never set foot upon the moor again but i've only just come man man she cried can you not tell when a warning is for your own good go back to london start to-night get away from this place at all costs hush my brother's coming not a word of what i've said would you mind getting that orchid for me among the mare's tails yonder we're very rich in orchids on the moor though of course you are rather late to see the beauties of the place 
stapleton had abandoned the chase and come back to us breathing hard and flushed with his exertions hello beryl said he and it seemed to me that the tone of his greeting was not altogether a cordial one well jack you're very hot yes i was chasing a cyclopedes he is very rare and seldom found in the late autumn what a pity you that i should have missed him he spoke unconcernedly but his small light eyes glanced incessantly from the girl to me you have introduced yourselves i can see yes i was telling sir henry that it was rather late for him to see the true beauties of the moor why who do you think this is i imagine that it must be sir henry baskerville no no said i only a humble commoner but his friend my name is dr watson a flush of vexation passed over her expressive face we have been talking at cross purposes said she why you had not very much time for talk her brother remarked with the same questioning eyes i talked as if dr watson were a resident instead of being a merely a visitor said she it cannot much matter to him whether it is early or late for the orchids but you will come on will you not and see merripit house a short walk brought us to it a bleak moorland house once the farm of some grazier in the old prosperous days but now put into repair and turned into a modern dwelling an orchard surrounded it but the trees as is usual upon the moor were stunted and nipped and the effect of the whole place was mean and melancholy we were admitted by a strange wizened rusty-coated old man-servant who seemed in keeping with the house inside however there were large rooms furnished with an elegance in which i seemed to recognize the taste of the lady as i looked from their windows at the interminable granite-flecked moor rolling unbroken to the farthest horizon i could not but marvel at what could have brought this highly educated man and this beautiful woman to live in such a place queer spot to choose is it not said he as if in answer to my thought and yet we manage to make ourselves fairly happy do we not beryl quite happy said she but there was no ring of conviction in her words i had a school said stapleton it was in the north country the work to a man of my temperament was mechanical and uninteresting but the privilege of living with youth of helping to mould those young minds and of impressing them with one's own character and ideals was very dear to me however the fates were against us a serious epidemic broke out in the school and three of the boys died it never recovered from the blow and much of my capital was irretrievably swallowed up and yet if it were not for the loss of the charming companionship of the boys i could rejoice over my own misfortune for with my strong taste for botany and zoology i find an unlimited field of work here and my sister is as devoted to nature as i am all this dr watson has been brought upon your head by your expression as you surveyed the moor out of our window it certainly did cross my mind that it might be a little dull less for you perhaps than for your sister no no i'm never dull said she quickly we have books we have our studies and we have interesting neighbors dr mortimer is a most learned man in his own line 
poor sir charles was also an admirable companion we knew him well and miss him more than i can tell do you think that i should intrude if i were to call this afternoon and make the acquaintance of sir henry i am sure that he would be delighted then perhaps you would mention that i propose to do so we may in our humble way do something to make things more easy for him until he becomes accustomed to his new surroundings will you come upstairs dr watson and inspect my collection of lepidoptera i think it is the most complete one in the southwest of england by the time that you have looked through them lunch will be almost ready but i was eager to get back to my charge the melancholy of the moor the death of the unfortunate pony the weird sound which had been associated with the grim legend of the baskervilles all these things tinged my thoughts with sadness then on top of these more or less vague impressions there had come the definite and distinct warning of miss stapleton delivered with such intense earnestness that i could not doubt that some grave and deep reason lay behind it i resisted all pressure to stay for lunch and i set off at once upon my return journey taking the grass-grown path by which we had come it seems however that there must have been some shortcut for those who knew it for before i had reached the road i was astounded to see miss stapleton sitting upon a rock by the side of the track her face was beautifully flushed with her exertions and she held her hand to her side i have run all the way in order to cut you off dr watson said she i had not even time to put on my hat i must not stop or my brother may miss me i wanted to say to you how sorry i am about the stupid mistake i made in thinking that you were sir henry please forget the words i said which have no application whatever to you but i can't forget them miss stapleton said i i am sir henry's friend and his welfare is a very close concern of mine tell me why it was that you were so eager that sir henry should return to london a woman's whim dr watson when you know me better you will understand that i cannot always give reasons for what i say or do no no i remember the thrill in your voice i remember the look in your eyes please please be frank with me miss stapleton for ever since i have been here i have been conscious of shadows all round me life has become like that great grimpen mire with little green patches everywhere into which one may sink and with no guide to point the track tell me then what it was that you meant and i will promise to convey your warning to sir henry an expression of irresolution passed for an instant over her face but her eyes had hardened again when she answered me you you make too much of it dr watson said she my brother and i were very much shocked by the death of sir charles we knew him very intimately for his favorite walk was over the moor to our house he was deeply impressed with the curse which hung over the family and when this tragedy came i naturally felt that there must be some grounds for the fears which he had expressed i was distressed therefore when another member of the family came down to live here and i felt that he should be warned of the danger which he will run that was all which i intended to convey but what is the danger you know the story of the hound i do not believe in such nonsense but i do if you have any influence with sir henry take him away from a place which has always been fatal to his family 
the world is wide why should he wish to live at the place of danger because it is the place of danger that is sir henry's nature i fear that unless you can give me some more definite information than this it would be impossible to get him to move i cannot say anything definite for i do not know anything definite i would ask you one more question miss stapleton if you meant no more than this when you first spoke to me why should you not wish your brother to overhear what you said there's nothing to which he or anyone else could object my brother is very anxious to have the hall inhabited for he thinks it is for the good of the poor folk upon the moor he would be very angry if he knew that i have said anything which might induce sir henry to go away but i have done my duty now and i will say no more i must go back or he will miss me and suspect that i have seen you good-bye she turned and had disappeared in a few minutes among the scattered boulders while i with my soul full of vague fears pursued my way to baskerville hall end of chapter seven chapter eight of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eight first report of dr watson from this point onward i will follow the course of events by transcribing my own letters to mr sherlock holmes which lie before me on the table one page is missing but otherwise they are exactly as written and show my feelings and suspicions of the moment more accurately than my memory clear as it is upon these tragic events can possibly do baskerville hall october thirteenth my dear holmes my previous letters and telegrams have kept you pretty well up to date as to all that has occurred in this most god-forsaken corner of the world the longer one stays here the more does the spirit of the moor sink into one's soul its vastness and also its grim charm when you are once out upon its bosom you have left all traces of modern england behind you but on the other hand you are conscious everywhere of the homes and the work of the prehistoric people on all sides of you as you walk are the houses of these forgotten folk with their graves and the huge monoliths which are supposed to have marked their temples as you look at their gray stone huts against the scarred hillsides you leave your own age behind you and if you were to see a skin-clad hairy man crawl out from the low door fitting a flint-tipped arrow onto the string of his bow you would feel that his presence there was more natural than your own the strange thing is that they should have lived so thickly on what must have always have been most unfruitful soil i am no antiquarian but i could imagine that they were some unwarlike and harried race who were forced to accept that which none other would occupy all this however is foreign to the mission on which you sent me and will probably be very uninteresting to your severely practical mind i can still remember your complete indifference as to whether the sun moved round the earth or the earth round the sun let me therefore return to the facts concerning sir henry baskerville if you have not had any report within the last few days it is because up to today there was nothing of importance to relate then a very surprising circumstance occurred which i shall tell you in due course 
but first of all i must keep you in touch with some of the other factors in the situation one of these concerning which i have said little is the escaped convict upon the moor there is strong reason now to believe that he has got right away which is a considerable relief to the lonely householders of this district a fortnight has passed since his flight during which he has not been seen and nothing has been heard of him it is surely inconceivable that he could have held out upon the moor during all that time of course so far as his concealment goes there is no difficulty at all any one of these stone huts would give him a hiding place but there's nothing to eat unless he were to catch and slaughter one of the moor sheep we think therefore that he's gone and the outlying farmers sleep the better in consequence we are four able-bodied men in this household so that we could take good care of ourselves but i confess that i have had uneasy moments when i have thought of the stapletons they live miles from any help there are one maid an old man-servant the sister and the brother the latter not a very strong man they would be helpless in the hands of a desperate fellow like this notting hill criminal if he could once effect an entrance both sir henry and i were concerned at their situation and it was suggested that perkins the groom should go over to sleep there but stapleton would not hear of it the fact is that our friend the baronet begins to display a considerable interest in our fair neighbour it is not to be wondered at for time hangs heavily in this lonely spot to an active man like him and she is a very fascinating and beautiful woman there is something tropical and exotic about her which forms a singular contrast to her cool and unemotional brother yet he also gives the idea of hidden fires he has certainly a very marked influence over her for i have seen her continually glance at him as she talked as if seeking approbation for what she said i trust that he is kind to her there is a dry glitter in his eyes and a firm set of his thin lips which goes with a positive and possibly a harsh nature you would find him an interesting study he came over to call upon baskerville on that first day and the very next morning he took us both to show us the spot where the legend of the wicked hugo is supposed to have had its origin it was an excursion of some miles across the moor to a place which is so dismal that it might have suggested the story we found a short valley between rugged tors which led to an open grassy space flecked over with the white cotton grass in the middle of it rose two great stones worn and sharpened at the upper end until they looked like the huge corroding fangs of some monstrous beast in every way it corresponded with the scene of the old tragedy sir henry was much interested and asked stapleton more than once whether he did really believe in the possibility of the interference of the supernatural in the affairs of men he spoke lightly but it was evident that he was very much in earnest stapleton was guarded in his replies but it was easy to see that he said less than he might and that he would not express his whole opinion out of consideration for the feelings of the baronet he told us of similar cases where families had suffered from some evil influence and he left us with the impression that he shared the popular view upon the matter on our way back we stayed for lunch at merripit house 
and it was there that sir henry made the acquaintance of miss stapleton from the first moment that he saw her he appeared to be strongly attracted by her and i am much mistaken if the feeling was not mutual he referred to her again and again on our walk home and since then hardly a day has passed that we have not seen something of the brother and sister they dine here tonight and there is some talk of our going to them next week one would imagine that such a match would be very welcome to stapleton and yet i have more than once caught a look of the strongest disapprobation in his face when sir henry has been paying some attention to his sister he is much attached to her no doubt and would lead a lonely life without her but it would seem the height of selfishness if he were to stand in the way of her making so brilliant a marriage yet i am certain that he does not wish their intimacy to ripen into love and i have several times observed that he has taken pains to prevent them from being tete a tete by the way your instructions to me never to allow sir henry to go out alone will become very much more onerous if a love affair were to be added to our other difficulties my popularity would soon suffer if i were to carry out your orders to the letter the other day thursday to be more exact dr mortimer lunched with us he has been excavating a barrow at long down and has got a prehistoric skull which fills him with great joy never was there such a single-minded enthusiast as he the stapletons came in afterwards and the good doctor took us all to the yew alley at sir henry's request to show us exactly how everything occurred upon that fatal night it is a long dismal walk the yew alley between two high walls of clipped hedge with a narrow band of grass upon either side at the far end is an old tumble-down summer-house halfway down is the moor gate where the old gentleman left his cigar ash it is a white wooden gate with a latch beyond it lies the wide moor i remembered your theory of the affair and tried to picture all that had occurred as the old man stood there he saw something coming across the moor something which terrified him so that he lost his wits and ran and ran until he died of sheer horror and exhaustion there was the long gloomy tunnel down which he fled and from what a sheepdog of the moor or a spectral hound black silent and monstrous was there a human agency in the matter did the pale watchful barrymore know more than he cared to say it was all dim and vague but always there is the dark shadow of crime behind it one other neighbor i've met since i wrote last this is mr frankland of laughter hall who lives some four miles to the south of us he is an elderly man red-faced white-haired and choleric his passion is for the british law and he has spent a large fortune in litigation he fights for the mere pleasure of fighting and is equally ready to take up either side of a question so that it is no wonder that he has found it a costly amusement sometimes he will shut up a right of way and defy the parish to make him open it at others he will with his own hands tear down some other man's gate and declare that a path existed there from time immemorial defying the owner to prosecute him for trespass he is learned in old manorial and communal rights and he applies his knowledge sometimes in favor of the villagers of fernworthy 
and sometimes against them so that he is periodically either carried in triumph down the village street or else burned in effigy according to his latest exploit he is said to have about seven lawsuits upon his hands at present which will probably swallow up the remainder of his fortune and so draw his sting and leave him harmless for the future apart from the law he seems a kindly good-natured person and i only mention him because you were particular that i should send some description of the people who surround us he is curiously employed at present for being an amateur astronomer he has an excellent telescope with which he lies upon the roof of his own house and sweeps the moor all day in the hope of catching a glimpse of the escaped convict if he would confine his energies to this all would be well but there are rumours that he intends to prosecute dr mortimer for opening a grave without the consent of the next of kin because he dug up the neolithic skull in the barrow on longdown he helps to keep our lives from being monotonous and gives a little comic relief where it is badly needed and now having brought you up to date in the escaped convict the stapletons dr mortimer and frankland of laughter hall let me end on that which is most important and tell you more about the barrymores and especially about the surprising development of last night first of all about the test telegram which you sent from london in order to make sure that barrymore was really here i have already explained that the testimony of the postmaster shows that the test was worthless and that we have no proof one way or the other i told sir henry how the matter stood and he at once in his downright fashion had barrymore up and asked him whether he had received the telegram himself barrymore said that he had did the boy deliver it into your own hands asked sir henry barrymore looked surprised and considered for a little time no said he i was in the box room at the time and my wife brought it up to me did you answer it yourself no i told my wife what to answer and she went down to write it in the evening he recurred to the subject of his own accord i could not quite understand the object of your questions this morning sir henry said he i trust that they do not mean that i have done anything to forfeit your confidence sir henry had to assure him that it was not so and pacify him by giving him a considerable part of his old wardrobe the london outfit having now all arrived mrs barrymore is of interest to me she is a heavy solid person very limited intensely respectable and inclined to be puritanical you could hardly conceive a less emotional subject yet i have told you how on the first night here i heard her sobbing bitterly and since then i have more than once observed traces of tears upon her face some deep sorrow gnaws ever at her heart sometimes i wonder if she has a guilty memory which haunts her and sometimes i suspect barrymore of being a domestic tyrant i have always felt that there was something singular and questionable in this man's character but the adventure of last night brings all my suspicions to a head and yet it may seem a small matter in itself you are aware that i am not very sound sleeper and since i have been on guard in this house my slumbers have been lighter than ever last night about two in the morning i was aroused by a stealthy step passing my room i rose opened my door and peeped out 
a long black shadow was trailing down the corridor it was thrown by a man who walked softly down the passage with a candle held in his hand he was in shirt and trousers with no covering to his feet i could merely see the outline but his height told me that it was barrymore he walked very slowly and circumspectly and there was something indescribably guilty and furtive in his whole appearance i have told you that the corridor is broken by the balcony which runs round the hall but that it is resumed upon the farther side i waited until he had passed out of sight and then i followed him when i came round the balcony he had reached the end of the farther corridor and i could see from the glimmer of light through an open door that he had entered one of the rooms now all these rooms are unfurnished and unoccupied so that his expedition became more mysterious than ever the light shone steadily as if he were standing motionless i crept down the passage as noiselessly as i could and peeped round the corner of the door barrymore was crouching at the window with the candle held against the glass his profile was half turned towards me and his face seemed to be rigid with expectation as he stared out into the blackness of the moor for some minutes he stood watching intently then he gave a deep groan and with an impatient gesture he put out the light instantly i made my way back to my room and very shortly came the stealthy steps passing once more upon their return journey long afterwards when i had fallen into a light sleep i heard a key turn somewhere in a lock but i could not tell whence the sound came what it all means i cannot guess but there is some secret business going on in this house of gloom which sooner or later we shall get to the bottom of i do not trouble you with my theories for you ask me to furnish you only with facts i have had a long talk with sir henry this morning and we have made a plan of campaign founded upon my observations of last night i will not speak about it just now but it should make my next report interesting reading end of chapter eight chapter nine of the hound of the baskervilles by sir arthur conan doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the light upon the moor second report of dr watson baskerville hall october fifteenth my dear holmes if i was compelled to leave you without much news during the early days of my mission you must acknowledge that i am making up for lost time and that in that events are nowding thick and fast upon us in my last report i ended up my top note with barrymore at the window and now i have quite a budget already which will unless i am much mistaken considerably surprise you things have taken a turn which i could not have anticipated in some ways they have within the last forty-eight hours become much clearer and in some ways they have become more complicated but i will tell you all and you shall judge for yourself before breakfast on the morning following my adventure i went down the corridor and examined the room in which barrymore had been on the night before the western window through which he had stared so intently has i noticed one peculiarity above all other windows in the house it commands the nearest outlook onto the moor there is an opening between two trees 
which enables one from this point of view to look right down upon it while from all the other windows it is only a distant glimpse which can be obtained it follows therefore that barrymore since only this window would serve the purpose must have been looking out for something or somebody upon the moor the night was very dark so that i can hardly imagine how he could have hoped to see anyone it had struck me that it was possible that some love intrigue was on foot that would have accounted for his stealthy movements and also for the uneasiness of his wife the man is a striking-looking fellow very well equipped to steal the heart of a country girl so that this theory seemed to have something to support it that opening of the door which i had heard after i had returned to my room might mean that he had gone out to keep some clandestine appointment so i reasoned with myself in the morning and i tell you the direction of my suspicions however much the result may have shown that they were unfounded but whatever the true explanation of barrymore's movements might be i felt that the responsibility of keeping them to myself until i could explain them was more than i could bear i had an interview with the baronet in his study after breakfast and i told him all that i had seen he was less surprised than i had expected i knew that barrymore walked about nights and i had a mind to speak to him about it said he two or three times i've heard his steps in the passage coming and going just about the hour you name perhaps then he pays a visit every night to that particular window i suggested perhaps he does if so we should be able to shadow him and see what it is that he's after i wonder what your friend holmes would do if he were here i believe that he would do exactly what you now suggest said i he would follow barrymore and see what he did then we shall do it together but surely he would hear us the man is rather deaf and in any case we must take our chance of that we'll sit up in my room to-night and wait until he passes sir henry rubbed his hands with pleasure and it was evident that he hailed the adventure as a relief to his somewhat quiet life upon the moor the baronet has been in communication with the architect who prepared the plans for sir charles and with a contractor from london so that we may expect great changes to begin here soon there have been decorators and furnishers up from plymouth and it is evident that our friend has large ideas and means to spare no pains or expense to restore the grandeur of his family when the house is renovated and refurnished all that he will need will be a wife to make it complete between ourselves there are pretty clear signs that this will not be wanting if the lady is willing for i have seldom seen a man more infatuated with a woman than he is with our beautiful neighbour miss stapleton and yet the course of true love does not run quite as smoothly as one would under these circumstances expect today for example its surface was broken by a very unexpected ripple which has caused our friend considerable perplexity and annoyance after the conversation which i have quoted about barrymore sir henry put on his hat and prepared to go out as a matter of course i did the same what are you coming watson he asked looking at me in a curious way ah, depends on whether you're going on the moor said i uh, yes i am 
"'Well, you know what my instructions are. "'I am sorry to intrude, but you heard how earnestly Holmes insisted "'that I should not leave you, and especially that you should not go alone upon the moor.' "'Sir Henry put his hand upon my shoulder with a pleasant smile. "'My dear fellow,' said he, "'Holmes, with all his wisdom, did not foresee some things which have happened since I have been on the moor. "'You understand me? I am sure that you are the last man in the world.' who would wish to be a spoil-sport, I must go out alone. It put me in a most awkward position. I was at a loss what to say or what to do, and before I had made up my mind, he picked up his cane and was gone. But when I came to think the matter over, my conscience reproached me bitterly for having on any pretext allowed him to go out of my sight. I imagined what my feelings would be if I had to return to you and to confess that some misfortune had occurred through my disregard for your instructions. I assure you my cheeks flushed at the very thought. It might not even now be too late to overtake him. So I set off at once in the direction of Merripit House. I hurried along the road at the top of my speed without seeing anything of Sir Henry until I came to the point where the moor path branches off. There, fearing that perhaps I had come in the wrong direction after all, I mounted a hill from which I could command a view, the same hill which is cut into the dark quarry. Thence I saw him at once. He was on the moor path about a quarter of a mile off, and a lady was by his side, who could only be Miss Stapleton. It was clear that there was already an understanding between them, and that they had met by appointment. They were walking slowly along in deep conversation, and I saw her making quick little movements of her hands, as if she were very earnest in what she was saying, while he listened intently, and once or twice shook his head in strong dissent. I stood among the rocks watching them, very much puzzled as to what I should do next. To follow them and break into their intimate conversation seemed to be an outrage, and yet my clear duty was never for an instant to let him out of my sight. To act the spy upon a friend was a hateful task. Still, I could see no better course than to observe him from the hill, and to clear my conscience by confessing to him afterwards what I had done. It is true that if any sudden danger had threatened him, I was too far away to be of use, and yet I am sure that you will agree with me that the position was very difficult and that there was nothing more which I could do. Our friend Sir Henry and the lady had halted on the path, and were standing deeply absorbed in their conversation, when I was suddenly aware that I was not the only witness of their interview. A wisp of green floating in the air caught my eye, and another glance showed me that it was carried on a stick by a man who was moving among the broken ground. It was Stapleton with his butterfly net, he was very much closer to the pair than I was, and he appeared to be moving in their direction. At this instant, Sir Henry suddenly drew Miss Stapleton to his side. His arm was around her, but it seemed to me that she was straining away from him with her face averted. He stooped his head to hers, and she raised one hand as if in protest. Next moment I saw them spring apart and turn hurriedly around. Stapleton was the cause of the interruption. 
he was running wildly towards them his absurd net dangling behind him he gesticulated and almost danced with excitement in front of the lovers what the scene meant i could not imagine but it seemed to me that stapleton was abusing sir henry who offered explanations which became more angry as the other refused to accept them the lady stood by in haughty silence finally stapleton turned upon his heel and beckoned in a peremptory way to his sister who after an irresolute glance at sir henry walked off by the side of her brother the naturalist's angry gestures showed that the lady was included in his displeasure the baronet stood for a minute looking after them and then he walked slowly back the way that he had come his head hanging the very picture of dejection what all this meant i could not imagine but i was deeply ashamed to have witnessed so intimate a scene without my friend's knowledge i ran down the hill therefore and met the baronet at the bottom his face was flushed with anger and his brows were wrinkled like one who is at his wits end what to do hello watson where have you dropped from said he you don't mean to say that you came after me in spite of all i explained everything to him how i had found it impossible to remain behind how i had followed him and how i had witnessed all that had occurred for an instant his eyes blazed at me but my frankness disarmed his anger and he broke at last into a rather rueful laugh <laughs> you would have thought the middle of that prairie a fairly safe place for a man to be private said he but by thunder the whole countryside seems to have been out to see me do my wooing and a mighty poor wooing at that where had you engaged a seat i was on that hill quite in the back row eh but her brother was well up to the front did you see him come out on us yes i did did he ever strike you as being crazy this brother of hers i can't say that he ever did i dare say not i always thought of him sane enough until today but you can take it from me that either he or i ought to be in a straitjacket what's the matter with me anyhow you've lived near me for some weeks watson tell me straight is there anything that would prevent me from making a good husband to a woman that i loved i should say not he can't object to my worldly position so it must be myself that he has this down on what has he against me i never hurt man or woman in my life that i know of and yet he would not so much as let me touch the tips of her fingers did he say so that and a deal more i tell you watson i've only known her these few weeks but from the first i just felt that she was made for me and she too she was happy when she was with me and that i'll swear there's a light in a woman's eyes that speaks louder than words but he's never let us get together and it was only today for the first time that i saw a chance of having a few words with her alone she was glad to meet me but when she did it was not love that she would talk about and she wouldn't have let me talk about it either if she could have stopped it she kept coming back to it that this was a place of danger and that she would never be happy until i had left it i told her that since i had seen her i was in no hurry to leave it and that if she really wanted me to go the only way to work it was for her to arrange to go with me with that i offered in as many words to marry her but before she could answer 
down came this brother of hers running at us with a face on him like a madman he was just white with rage and those light eyes of his were blazing with fury what was i doing with the lady how dared i offer her attentions which were distasteful to her did i think that because i was a baronet i could do what i liked if he had not been her brother i should have known better how to answer him as it was i told him that my feelings towards his sister were such as i was not ashamed of and that i hoped that she might honour me by becoming my wife that seemed to make the matter no better so then i lost my temper too and i answered him rather more hotly than i should perhaps considering that she was standing by so it ended by his going off with her as you saw and here am i as badly puzzled a man as any in this county just tell me what it all means watson and i'll owe you more than ever i can hope to pay i tried one or two explanations but indeed i was completely puzzled myself our friend's title his fortune his age his character and his appearance are all in his favour and i know nothing against him unless it be this dark fate which runs in his family that his advances should be rejected so brusquely without any reference to the lady's own wishes and that the lady should accept the situation without protest is very amazing however our conjectures were set at rest by a visit from stapleton himself that very afternoon he had come to offer apologies for his rudeness of the morning and after a long private interview with sir henry in his study the upshot of their conversation was that the breach is quite healed and that we are to dine at merripit house next friday as a sign of it i don't say now that he isn't a crazy man said sir henry i can't forget the look in his eyes when he ran at me this morning but i must allow that no man could make a more handsome apology than he has done did he give any explanation of his conduct his sister is everything in his life he says that is natural enough and i am glad that he should understand her value they have always been together and according to his account he has been a very lonely man with only her as a companion so that the thought of losing her was really terrible to him he had not understood he said that i was becoming attached to her but when he saw with his own eyes that it was really so and that she might be taken away from him it gave him such a shock that for a time he was not responsible for what he said or did he was very sorry for all that had passed and he recognized how foolish and how selfish it was that he should imagine that he could hold a beautiful woman like his sister to himself for her whole life if she had to leave him he had rather it was to a neighbor like myself than to anyone else but in any case it was a blow to him and it would take him some time before he could prepare himself to meet it he would withdraw all opposition upon his part if i would promise for three months to let the matter rest and to be content with cultivating the lady's friendship during that time without claiming her love this i promised and so the matter rests so there is one of our small mysteries cleared up it is something to have touched bottom anywhere in this bog in which we are floundering we know now why stapleton looked with disfavour upon his sister's suitor even when that suitor was so eligible a one as sir henry 
and now i pass on to another thread which i have extricated out of the tangled skein the mystery of the sobs in the night of the tear-stained face of mrs barrymore of the secret journey of the butler to the western lattice window congratulate me my dear holmes and tell me that i have not disappointed you as an agent that you do not regret the confidence which you showed in me when you sent me down all these things have by one night's work been thoroughly cleared i have said by one night's work but in truth it was by two nights work for on the first we drew entirely blank i sat up with sir henry in his rooms until nearly three o'clock in the morning but no sound of any sort did we hear except the chiming clock upon the stairs it was a most melancholy vigil and ended by each of us falling asleep in our chairs fortunately we were not discouraged and we determined to try again the next night we lowered the lamp and sat smoking cigarettes without making the least sound it was incredible how slowly the hours crawled by and yet we were helped through it by the same sort of patient interest which the hunter must feel as he watches the trap into which he hopes the game may wander one struck and two and we had almost for the second time given it up in despair when in an instant we both sat bolt upright in our chairs with all our weary senses keenly on the alert once more we had heard the creak of a step in the passage very stealthily we heard it pass along until it died away in the distance then the baronet gently opened his door and we set out in pursuit already our man had gone round the gallery and the corridor was all in darkness softly we stole along until we had come into the other wing we were just in time to catch a glimpse of the tall black-bearded figure his shoulders rounded as he tiptoed down the passage then he passed through the same door as before and the light of the candle framed it in the darkness and shot one single yellow beam across the gloom of the corridor we shuffled cautiously towards it trying every plank before we dared to put our whole weight upon it we had taken the precaution of leaving our boots behind us but even so the old boards snapped and creaked beneath our tread sometimes it seemed impossible that he should fail to hear our approach however the man is fortunately rather deaf and he was entirely preoccupied in that which he was doing when at last we reached the door and peeped through we found him crouching at the window candle in hand his white intent face pressed against a pane exactly as i had seen him two nights before we had arranged no plan of campaign but the baronet is a man to whom the most direct way is always the most natural he walked into the room and as he did so barrymore sprang up from the window with a sharp hiss of his breath and stood livid and trembling before us his dark eyes glaring out of the white mask of his face were full of horror and astonishment as he gazed from sir henry to me what are you doing here barrymore nothing sir his agitation was so great that he could hardly speak and the shadows sprang up and down from the shaking of his candle it was the window sir i go round at night to see that they're fastened on the second floor yes sir all the windows look here barrymore said sir henry sternly 
we have made up our minds to have the truth out of you so it will save you trouble to tell it sooner rather than later come now no lies what were you doing at that window the fellow looked at us in a helpless way and he wrung his hands together like one who is in the last extremity of doubt and misery i was doing no harm sir i was holding a candle to the window and why were you holding a candle to the window don't ask me Henry. don't ask me i give you my word sir that it is not my secret and that i cannot tell it if it concerned no one but myself i would not try to keep it from you a sudden idea occurred to me and i took the candle from the trembling hand of the butler he must have been holding it as a signal said i let us see if there is any answer i held it as he had done and stared out into the darkness of the night vaguely i could discern the black bank of the trees and the lighter expanse of the moor for the moon was behind the clouds and then i gave a cry of exultation for a tiny pinpoint of yellow light had suddenly transfixed the dark veil and glowed steadily in the centre of the black square framed by the window there it is i cried no no sir it is nothing nothing at all the butler broke in are you sure you sir move your light across the window watson cried the baronet see the other moves also now you rascal do you deny that it is a signal come speak up who is your confederate out yonder and what is this conspiracy that is going on the man's face became openly defiant it is my business and not yours i will not tell then you leave my employment right away very good sir if i must i must and you go in disgrace by thunder you may well be ashamed of yourself your family has lived with mine for over a hundred years under this roof and here i find you deep in some dark plot against me no no sir not against you it was a woman's voice and mrs barrymore paler and more horror-struck than her husband was standing at the door her bulky figure in a shawl and skirt might have been comic were it not for the intensity of feeling upon her face we have to go eliza this is the end of it you can pack our things said the butler oh john john have i brought you to this it is my doing sir henry all mine he has done nothing except for my sake and because i asked him speak out then what does it mean my unhappy brother is starving on the moor we cannot let him perish at our very gates the light is a signal to him that food is ready for him and his light out yonder is to show the spot to which to bring it then your brother is the escaped convict sir selden the criminal that's the truth sir said barrymore i said that it was not my secret and i could not tell it to you but now you've heard it and you'll see that if there was a plot it was not against you this then was the explanation of the stealthy expeditions at night and the light at the window sir henry and i both stared at the woman in amazement was it possible that this stolidly respectable person was of the same blood as one of the most notorious criminals in the country yes sir my name is seldom and he is my younger brother we humoured him too much when he was a lad and gave him his own way in everything 
until he came to think that the world was made for his pleasure and that he could do what he liked in it then as he grew older he met wicked companions and the devil entered into him until he broke my mother's heart and dragged her name in the dirt from crime to crime he sank lower and lower until it is only the mercy of god which has snatched him from the scaffold but to me sir he was always a little curly-headed boy that i had nursed and played with as an elder sister would that was why he broke prison sir he knew that i was here and that we could not refuse to help him when he dragged himself here one night weary and starving with the warders hard at his heels what could we do we took him in and fed him and cared for him and you returned sir and my brother thought he would be safer on the moor than anywhere else until the hue and cry was over so he lay in hiding there but every second night we made sure if he was still there by putting a light in the window and if there was an answer my husband took out some bread and meat to him every day we hoped that he was gone but as long as he was there we couldn't desert him that is the old truth as i am an honest christian woman and you'll see that if there is a blame in the matter it doesn't lie with my husband but with me for whose sake he's done all that he has the woman's words came with an intense earnestness which carried conviction with them is this true barrymore yes sir henry every word of it well i cannot blame you for standing by your own wife forget what i've said go to your room you two and we shall talk further about this matter in the morning when they were gone we looked out of the window again sir henry had flung it open and the cold night wind beat in upon our faces far away in the black distance there still glowed that one tiny point of yellow light i wonder he dares said sir henry it may be so placed as to be only visible from here very likely how far do you think it is out by the cleft tor i think not more than a mile or two off hardly that well it cannot be far if barrymore had to carry out the food to it and he's waiting this villain beside that candle by thunder watson i'm going out to take that man the same thought had crossed my own mind it was not as if the barrymores had taken us into their confidence their secret had been forced from them the man was a danger to the community an unmitigated scoundrel for whom there was neither pity nor excuse we were only doing our duty in taking this chance of putting him back where he could do no harm with this brutal and violent nature others would have to pay the price if we held our hands any night for example our neighbors the stapletons might be attacked by him and it may have been the thought of this which made sir henry so keen upon the adventure i'll come said i then get your revolver and put on your boots the sooner we start the better as the fellow may put out this light and be off in five minutes we were outside the door starting upon our expedition we hurried through the dark shrubbery amid the dull moaning of the autumn wind and the rustle of the falling leaves the night air was heavy with the smell of damp and decay now and again the moon peeped out for an instant but clouds were driving over the face of the sky and just as we came out on the moor a thin rain began to fall the light still burned steadily in front are you armed i asked i have a hunting crop 
we must close in on him rapidly for he is said to be a desperate fellow we shall take him by surprise and have him at our mercy before he can resist i say watson said the baronet what would holmes say to this how about that hour of darkness in which the power of evil is exalted as if in answer to his words there rose suddenly out of the vast gloom of the moor that strange cry which i had already heard upon the borders of the great grimpen mire it came with the wind through the silence of the night a long deep mutter then a rising howl and then the sad moan in which it died away again and again it sounded the whole air throbbing with it strident wild and menacing the baronet caught my sleeve and his face glimmered white through the darkness my god what's that watson i don't know it's a sound they have on the moor i heard it once before it died away and an absolute silence closed in upon us we stood straining our ears but nothing came watson said the baronet it was the cry of a hound my blood ran cold in my veins for there was a break in his voice which told of the sudden horror which had seized him what do they call this sound he asked who the folk on the countryside oh they are ignorant people why should you mind what they call it tell me watson what do they say of it i hesitated but could not escape the question they say it is the cry of the hound of the baskervilles he groaned and was silent for a few moments a hound it was he said at last but it seemed to come from miles away over yonder i think it was hard to say whence it came it rose and fell with the wind isn't that the direction of the great grimpen mire yes it is well it was up there come now watson didn't you think yourself that it was the cry of a hound i'm not a child you need not fear to speak the truth stapleton was with me when i heard it last he said that it might be the calling of a strange bird no no it was a hound my god can there be some truth in all these stories is it possible that i am really in danger from so dark a cause you don't believe it do you watson no no and yet it was one thing to laugh about it in london and it is another to stand out here in the darkness of the moor and to hear such a cry as that and my uncle there was the footprint of the hound beside him as he lay it all fits together i don't think that i'm a coward watson but that sound seemed to freeze my very blood feel my hand it was as cold as a block of marble you'll be all right tomorrow i don't think i'll get that cry out of my head what do you advise that we do now shall we turn back no by thunder we've come out to get our man and we will do it we after the convict and a hellhound as likely as not after us come on we'll see it through if all the fiends of the pit were loose upon the moor we stumbled slowly along in the darkness with the black loom of the craggy hills around us and the yellow speck of light burning steadily in front there is nothing so deceptive as the distance of a light upon a pitch-dark night and sometimes the glimmer seemed to be far away upon the horizon and sometimes it might have been within a few yards of us but at last we could see whence it came and then we knew that we were indeed very close 
a guttering candle was stuck in a crevice of the rocks which flanked it on each side so as to keep the wind from it and also to prevent it from being visible save in the direction of baskerville hall a boulder of granite concealed our approach and crouching behind it we gazed over it at the signal light it was strange to see this single candle burning there in the middle of the moor with no sign of life near it just the one straight yellow flame and the gleam of the rock on each side of it what shall we do now whispered sir henry wait here he must be near his light let us see if we can get a glimpse of him the words were hardly out of my mouth when we both saw him over the rocks in the crevice of which the candle burned there was thrust out an evil yellow face a terrible animal face all seamed and scored with vile passions foul with mire with a bristling beard and hung with matted hair it might well have belonged to one of those old savages who dwelt in the burrows on the hillsides the light beneath him was reflected in his small cunning eyes which peered fiercely to right and left through the darkness like a crafty and savage animal who's heard the steps of the hunters something had evidently aroused his suspicions it may have been that barrymore had some private signal which we had neglected to give or the fellow may have had some other reason for thinking that all was not well but i could read his fears upon his wicked face any instant he might dash out the light and vanish in the darkness i sprang forward therefore and sir henry did the same at the same moment the convict screamed out a curse at us and hurled a rock which splintered up against the boulder which had sheltered us i caught one glimpse of his short squat strongly built figure as he sprang to his feet and turned to run at the same moment by a lucky chance the moon broke through the clouds we rushed over the brow of the hill and there was our man running with great speed down the other side springing over the stones in his way with the activity of a mountain goat a lucky long shot of my revolver might have crippled him but i brought it only to defend myself if attacked and not to shoot an unarmed man who was running away we were both swift runners and in fairly good training but we soon found that we had no chance of overtaking him we saw him for a long time in the moonlight until he was only a small speck moving swiftly among the boulders upon the side of a distant hill we ran and ran until we were completely blown but the space between us grew ever wider finally we stopped and sat panting on two rocks while we watched him disappearing in the distance and it was at this moment that there occurred a most strange and unexpected thing we had risen from our rocks and were turning to go home having abandoned the hopeless chase the moon was low upon the right and the jagged pinnacle of a granite tor stood up against the lower curve of its silver disk there outlined as black as any ebony statue on that shining background i saw the figure of a man upon the tor do you think that it was a delusion holmes i assure you that i have never in my life seen anything more clearly as far as i could judge the figure was that of a tall thin man he stood with his legs a little separated his arms folded his head bowed as if he were brooding over that enormous wilderness of peat and granite which lay before him he might have been the very spirit of that terrible place 
it was not the convict this man was far from the place where the latter had disappeared besides he was a much taller man with a cry of surprise i pointed him out to the baronet but in the instant during which i had turned to grasp his arm the man was gone there was the sharp pinnacle of granite still cutting the lower edge of the moon but its peak bore no trace of that silent and motionless figure i wished to go in that direction and to search the tor but it was some distance away the baronet's nerves were still quivering from that cry which recalled the dark story of his family and he was not in the mood for fresh adventures he had not seen this lonely man upon the tor and could not feel the thrill which his strange presence and his commanding attitude had given to me a warder no doubt said he the moor has been thick with them since this fellow escaped well perhaps his explanation may be the right one but i should like to have some further proof of it today we mean to communicate to the princetown people where they should look for their missing man but it is hard lines that we have not actually had the triumph of bringing him back as our own prisoner such are the adventures of last night and you must acknowledge my dear holmes that i have done you very well in the matter of a report much of what i tell you is no doubt quite irrelevant but still i feel that it is best that i should let you have all the facts and leave you to select for yourself those which will be of most service to you in helping you to your conclusions we're certainly making some progress so far as the barrymores go we have found the motive of their actions and that has cleared up the situation very much but the moor with its mysteries and its strange inhabitants remains as inscrutable as ever perhaps in my next i may be able to throw some light upon this also best of all would it be if you could come down to us in any case you will hear from me again in the course of the next few days end of chapter nine Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.